11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, March 1st, 2021. I'm Aaron Fulton with Raven News. The application deadline is soon approaching for a federally funded coronavirus rent relief program. The Alaska Housing Rent Relief Program is accepting applications through this Friday. They've partnered with Baranoff Island Housing Authority to administer the program in Sitka. Those who received funding from the last rent and mortgage relief package are still eligible, although this wave of money only applies to renters. The program also provides utility relief. Cliff Richter is the executive director of BHA. He joined KCAW for the morning interview to discuss the program. Um, and essentially, if you are income eligible um, and experience some kind of a hardship, uh, financial hardship due to the pandemic, um, then you are eligible. And guess what? All of us have experienced some kind mm-hmm. of a financial hardship. So it's not hard to get there. And that is the intent of the program. Sitka households that make $71,000 or less are eligible. Richter says everyone should apply, even if they think they may not qualify. They want as many to apply as they can. The okay. funding is is plentiful. Over $200 million in the state. Wow. Uh, BHA alone received $1.4 million. You know, there is, there is more than enough to go around, especially when you talk about getting three months of free rent in the hands of, of it, any and everyone who apply. The application deadline is March 5th. You can find a link to the application and more information on our website, kcaw.org. Petersburg's COVID outbreak grew to 53 active cases in about a week. There have been at least three hospitalizations and one medevac. Contact tracing through the state of Alaska is still trying to figure out where the clusters of infection could have started in the community. State public health nurse Erin Michael says the state was able to marshal its forces to focus on Petersburg. A lot of other places across the state are um, not as active as we are with cases. And so we've got multiple teams working on Petersburg right now that are helping out. She says the outbreak hasn't been traced to any single event, but she says it's been widespread. Young kids all the way up to people in their 80s um, and everywhere in between. uh, It is an equal opportunity um, infection. That was echoed by Petersburg's hospital CEO, Phil Hofstetter. We're seeing cases all over the place, uh, less than a year old, all the way up into the 80s. It's, uh, it's all over the map. The Petersburg School District switched to distance learning on February 23rd, and kids aren't expected to return to the classroom until March 8th at the earliest. Superintendent Erica Klute-Painter says there are several cases connected to the district. She says multiple classrooms have been impacted, particularly in the elementary school, which has been somewhat surprising. I think we all were a little more hopeful about sort of the younger kids maybe not being quite as impacted in that sense. But um, so the elementary has been hit pretty hard that way. And then but we do have those connections and, and a few in the secondary schools as well. She says they are not pointing fingers or blaming anyone because the outbreak is so widespread. She's asking residents to hunker down over the next week to help bring the case count down. The Petersburg Emergency Operations Center is urging residents to remain calm and to not panic buy at the stores. Leave some for the next shopper. They are also asking the island of 3,000 people to adhere to Petersburg's mask rule. Juneau residents found out last week that their local electric utility will not cover damage caused by an unusual power surge in November. A few days before they got the news, another electric surge damaged more property, including stuff one resident thought was safeguarded by equipment she installed because of the November incident. The utility says the system is getting hit with unusually stormy weather. KTOO's Jeremy Shea reports. 
Tamala Bhutan and her husband were driving home on the night of February 19th, and they saw a tree on fire on the side of the highway. They called it in, pulled over, and started shooting video of a flaming tangle of branches and power lines. There's the telltale flicker of orange flames, and then... Oh! There you go. <laughs> Power's out. A blinding burst of light. The fire goes dark, and so do the streetlights stretching out in front of them. A city official reported new surge-related damage at Bartlett Regional Hospital and to the city's water and wastewater utilities. Debbie Driscoll from Juno's Electric Utility Company says unusually bad storms and icing conditions have been hitting Juno since the fall. It was just one weather pattern after another, after another, after another. High winds, heavy snow, sometimes uh, all three coming together at the same time. One way the utility measures its own reliability is by how long the average customer's power is out each year. Driscoll says, historically, it's been less than two hours. Last year, it was close to 10. And that was a result of storms. That was just severe weather conditions. And just like you see in Texas and other areas, there have been severe weather conditions that cause unusual circumstances on the system. When the power came back on on February 19th, residents of the Blackerby Street neighborhood near Twin Lakes discovered scorched outlets and surge protectors, dead circuit breakers, and fried appliances. Um, we lost like four surge, you know, the um, power strip surge protectors. Shauna Crondall was surprised she hadn't any damage. She had a whole home surge protector installed because of the November incident. We thought it hadn't worked until we heard about all the damage everyone else had, and then we were like, okay, maybe it like mostly worked. Lene Waldron wasn't so lucky. I lost my washer dryer, my heating system, my hot tub. She's been in touch with her insurance company and the electric utility, AELMP. She's frustrated. Frustrated that AELMP won't take any responsibility. I mean, they keep saying they're telling people to put surge protectors on their meters, but I think that should have been more of a priority. Debbie Driscoll with the utility company says there's inherent risk with electricity, and the utility usually isn't responsible for damage caused by Mother Nature. It is frustrating for customers. I can understand that. Absolutely. In the latest case, Driscoll says AELMP had properly maintained the trees in the affected utility corridor, but a tree from beyond the utility's right-of-way fell into their power lines, which led to the fire and explosion that was caught on video. Driscoll says the liability question was clear-cut in this case, but it wasn't in the November case. That's when you want someone else making that determination. You want industry experts, people that aren't associated with AELMP. And I know that our insurance company hired independent consultants. A piece of AELMP equipment failed that led to the November surge. The utilities insurance company says it had been in excellent condition, but, quote, spontaneously fractured from ice buildup and wind. The insurer says AELMP was not liable for the extraordinary natural forces, and insurance claims would not be paid out. One perk that AELMP continues to offer is free installation of whole home surge protectors. They're not foolproof, but their warranties cover a lot of home electronics. Several local electric shops sell them for about $200. In Juneau, I'm Jeremy Shea. The state health department is rolling out a new program designed to get millions in federal funds to combat COVID-19 directly into boroughs and communities. Applications for the first round of the $37.5 million must be made to the Department of Health and Social Services in the next two and a half weeks. I know this has been a really quick turnaround time, but again, we've been trying to get this together as quickly as possible and get it out to the communities as quickly as possible. Maria Caruso is coordinating the new program for the health department. The money is supposed to be used to help with COVID-19 testing and administering vaccines. And each grant comes with a health equity requirement. 
That means at least 10 percent has to go towards activities that address obstacles to health, like poverty or discrimination. Caruso and others at the health department encourage borough and city government leaders to team up with local nonprofits and other community organizations to get the funds spread out equitably among residents. Let's say you have a goal of advancing equitable vaccine distribution among the Alaska Pacific Islander community. That might look like a local government giving funds to the Polynesian Association of Alaska, um, which will allow them to work with trusted community leaders on community education and outreach efforts on the vaccine. There's a cap on how much funding is available for each city or borough based on population size. That means the city of Anchorage can get more than $13 million, while Lime Village near Bethel can apply for less than $650. Local governments will have to pay for expenses up front and then invoice the state for reimbursement. We are going to try and make that happen as quickly as possible. Tribal health organizations are not eligible for the first round of funding. Caruso said they're hoping to roll out that program by March. There will be a different application process for that one, and it's a much smaller pot of money, $4.6 million, which will also be divided by population. Denali Borough Mayor Clay Walker said Tuesday during a community meeting that the borough has spent its CARES Act funding and doesn't have many medical clinics or a hospital. We plan on using this funding to continue the robust testing and also um, the partnering that we're doing um, to deliver the vaccine here, where there's currently no no medical backing for that. Um, so we need to partner and, um, and we need this funding to help. Applications are due to the state by March 15th. Taking a look at the community calendar, the Banff Center Mountain Film Festival World Tour offers two two-hour virtual programs through October with proceeds benefiting Hames Center. Programs are $15 for a three-day viewing period each, or both programs for $28 for a 14-day viewing period. Gift options are available at checkout. Go to hamescenter.org for more information and to rent films. The deadline for Sitka renters to apply for up to 12 months of financial assistance with rent and utilities is Friday, March 5th. Visit alaskahousingrelief.org to use an eligibility checker and to register. Information can also be had by calling Baranoff Island Housing Authority at 747-5088. The Gary Paxton Industrial Park Board of Directors meets at 3 p.m. today at Harrigan Centennial Hall and by Zoom. The public is welcome to attend. For more information and for the Zoom link, visit sawmillcove.com meeting. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. This is